All right. <clears throat> Welcome back to Fathoms, everybody. Whoa, this is the season finale. What? <laughs> of season season finale of season three Q and A. One of our favorite episodes to record, and obviously one of your favorites to listen to because our our Q and A season finales are just by far the most listened to episodes out there. It's which hard. I'm it's weird. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, either also, we do an amazing job with these Q and A episodes, or it's an indictment on every other episode. <laughs> it, yeah, that feels like one of those dichotomies that I usually bring in that isn't quite helpful uh it's probably a mixture of those and seven other things right (laughs) also our first ever episode is Mm. up there as well which makes no sense like what Mm. to expect and then ego and i I think that's i could be wrong but i think it's like that it's your first book you write your first album like the years and years of effort you've put into thinking and then you finally did it and then everything else is just like oh that's your second thing (laughs) that's your second thing (laughs) i can't believe you say this literally as we record this (laughs) creek has the first single of a second album out right yeah yeah you you drop that like a lead balloon abram (laughs) it's all downhill from here creek yeah 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 so uh when this comes out this will have been out about seven six days what happened streaming on all platforms check it out and there is more music that's the song title not not a question yeah yeah what happens when did actually meant single it's actually (laughs) meant to be a question and a statement wrapped up in one oh you would duh mind blown duh so per usual with these episodes we like to do things in a few different acts so first act is going to be, let's talk about our season. Uh, what did we learn? What happened? <laughs> Literally, what happened? <laughs> Cue the music. Drew, go for it. Oh, boy. So season three story. You know, I think it's interesting to think that this is our third season. So we've yeah. done this a few times. And it, right. it there seemed to be a few recurring lessons that we can't seem to learn. (laughs) The the first is the way in which we envision and conceptualize the theme for the season. Rarely does it seem to end up that way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, (laughs) it's just, it's a complicated endeavor, I think. And conversations Mm. go in unique ways and, and three yeah. people that are working full time, two of them have families. Mm-hmm. Well, it's you have a family to... too, Greek, just oh. not the same way we do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. You're a funk. They need to change their diapers, though. <laughs> Yet. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I would, I would say, um, I was really, I am, and was really excited about the theme of this mm-hmm. this season. I think it, it quickly, I realized that. I bit off more. I think we bit off more than we could chew in some regards. Just like, wow, story is so big, yeah, mm-hmm. and so complex. It's it's really hard to um, be able to nail down mm-hmm. without having specific stories in front of us. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that's staying in. Um, <laughs> it sure is. I think my eyes came halfway out on that one. You're like a cartoon. Oh. 
Yeah, your eyes popped out of your head. It's the uh, allergy season. Yeah. We've talked about in the past our favorite episodes, but I'd rather go the route of... Oh. Least what? favorite? <laughs> yes. Who did we have on that we liked the least? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely Mario. I mean, let's <laughs> yeah. be honest. That, that jerk. <laughs> I'm sick of that guy. The velvet oh. hammer. Um, velvet hammer. Yes. Uh, so kidding, which, which episode... <laughs> which episode was the most surprising to you oh Ooh, okay okay That's a i'm good looking question. i'm looking back and i th- i think the f- one that comes to mind is uh it's like riding a bike with tj tj daw yeah that's the one that came to my mind, yeah, too. Yeah, the one I wasn't a part of. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> that that one was, was a great just, episode. Yeah, I just remember in the moment, like, oh, ooh, ah, and this, those things were happening in my <laughs> mind over and over. <laughs> yeah. I think I was surprised distinctly by our conversation with our good friend Lee Fields. Mm. Mm. Uh, not because I was surprised by Lee's brilliance, because that Obviously. has been proven over and over again. Uh, love you, Lee. But uh, I think the way the the direction that conversation went was a profound surprise. I think mm. when we talked about uh, fiction, memoir, and nonfiction, I think mm. the we were that was one of those episodes where we were clearly processing it as we went along and right. and which can be terrifying but yeah. i also think it was a really profound conversation just cuz i have to be different cuz there's no way i'd say tj as well but plus you're the, not going to give another four that much credit are you duh. <laughs> wagner i know uh-huh. we 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 recorded yeah. him way even like before we decided like 6 years ago before we even started the podcast <laughs> that's true um, and I've listened back to that one a few times, and it's just, I really, I mean, he's just a genuinely great character. He is, um, for sure, a great character. Yeah, and got some good stuff. And then especially just having David Toflon on, as well as Dr. Yep. B, both of whom mm-hmm, are yeah. my friends and my roommate. Like, it's just, I'm realizing how lucky and hashtag blessed I am <laughs> to have <laughs> such insanely wise delightful people within arm's reach so Mm -hmm. yes i enjoyed talking about our enneagram traps Mm -hmm. too no one can see that you're pointing to your shoulders right now (laughs) i know (laughs) but we can like i say i'm the funniest person i know so most of my humor is for myself Mm. Uh, just wait till our would you rather segment we'll see okay um (laughs) Man, we had. I'm looking through the list on my phone of all of our guests, and we we just had some really good, mm-hmm. varied guests, which I think, in some ways, accomplished <laughs> the diversity of stories. You know that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Probably probably didn't necessarily intentionally mean to do that, but in, in it really did work out that way. I had to have Beatrice on, mm-hmm. Ian, Morgan Cron, Mario, Renee Rosario. I mean, we heard just some profound wisdom and got to hear the stories behind some really smart Enneagram folk. So that was, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. It's probably some of my favorite stuff to hear about. You know, you, you see the, you read these authors, but then you actually get to hear their story, like where, 
where their uh, content's actually coming from. You kind of get more yeah. context for it, and it just kind of brings it a little bit more to life. I think that was yeah. really fun to, to hear from the real-life person behind the, the, the lots of, piece of pa- pieces of paper I'm holding in my hand, you know? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, the, that means a book, yeah. The book. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, that was a fun recap, and I even you know had forgotten about some things that we had done over the yeah. course of the season. Um, mm. So it's always good to be reminded in those ways. But I'm curious, what lessons are you taking with you from this season personally? Actually, I think for me, it wasn't anything necessarily specific. It was kind of the conversation leading up to the conversation that we had with my housemate of mm. to drop oh, yeah. or not, yeah. right? Because it made me actually articulate what I meant by that mm. um, because it's not just dropping but it's you also have to pick up as well sure um, yeah it's the it's the including into the whole journey and just kind of messing around in that area and then we just talked to the art of growth guys right and we talked about that as well of you have to include it like you can't you can't love the part or you can't you can't heal the part that you hate so just a reiteration and especially in our current climate, both politically and otherwise. I mean, that's, it's just happening left and right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's good. Trying to distance yourself from the stories you don't like. It is, I think part of our naivete, naivete (laughs) at the beginning of the season, I think conceptually we can get around these ideas of stories that we need to drop stories that we need to live out. I think I underestimated the power at which these stories do have a hold of us and the extent to which engaging in a conversation about story in the Enneagram is really like a fish describing water, right? It's so difficult to have enough distance and perspective Mm -hmm. to be able to talk with that level of kind of insight and objectivity because the stories are so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. I think that the narratives that the narrative scripts that kind of are baked into our Enneagram type structure are so powerful. I think Mm -hmm. it, which sounds silly for a guy and you you guys as well, who have done a ton of work with the Enneagram, studying it, training in schools, using it in our, in our work, but it's just a constant reminder of how powerful these things are. Yeah. Um, I I think maybe one of the things Mm -hmm. that comes up for me in the moment is, is that, Depending on, you know, obviously there's so many different variations on how to use the Enneagram in different schools and different perspectives. Uh, People that kind of narrow in on certain parts that say this is the important aspect or no, this is the important thing. Uh, And it's, I think, because we've drawn from a wide variety of stories and uh, narratives of of people this season, it it was interesting to notice how... It's maybe it's not really that there is a better better way or certain narratives or certain uh, stories that are better than other ones uh, or ways to tell. But <laughs> I'm pouring milk right now uh, for my son. More okay, more milk. More, um, buddy. That's good. This is a great representation of what the season looked like. <laughs> yes. Just like multitasking and uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just saying that I think transformation is still happening uh no matter which uh version of the enneagram gets highlighted mm-hmm. uh which is really helpful and really uh important to remember and recognize i think you know depending depending on because i think we can get we can we can turn it into this versus that or us versus them and 
there's a question that is coming that I was going to use this for, but I think it's helpful now still. Uh, if you've heard of nonviolent communication, one of the one of the teachings within that is that the guy talks about value judgments and moral judgments. Uh, so the difference is uh, you think differently about this same topic or this idea, and I think this way about this, and they're both valued for who, each person that has, uh, you know, got their own belovedness or uniqueness or worth and value just as they are. But the distinction is when you say my way is the right way and then I moralize my, you know, my take on on something. So value judgments versus moral judgments. So yeah, just, just, just that uh, each of these takes on the Enneagram are valued, you know, just mm-hmm. as important. Yeah. Uh, so... Hey. Hello. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, what did you learn during this season? <laughs> well, okay, so remind me, this season is, you guys are focusing on stories, right? Mm-hmm. Because with COVID time, I'm like, was that last season? Was that this sure. season? Like, everything mm, blends together. True. For us um, as well, Lindsay, so. Yeah. Well, I'm going through... Mario's uh, training right now, and this is something we talk a lot about, the stories that we tell ourselves. So I just, I really loved, I kind of think along the lines of what you were saying, Abram, about there's all these different schools of thought, and for some reason it can get really territorial um, and egotistical. And I think just remembering to look someone in the eye and say, there's a story here. There's a story here and um, it can just relieve so much of that constricting that we do around our own ideas and our own commitments, you know? So Mm. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's great. Good. So we, yeah, so we do have Lindsay Marks on, by the way. And uh, Lindsay, you were on last season or it was last season, right? Yeah. She popped on, it was with Annie Downs uh, when we, when we interviewed her. Yeah, that Um, was a blast. Yeah, and didn't you, did you show up one other time in season two? I don't remember. Nope, just once. This nope, is my second once. time. Okay, great. Well, uh, for those back. of you, yeah, for those of you, can, Lindsay, can you give a quick just, who are you, what do you do, for those of our listeners who haven't heard you before? Yeah, um, so my name's Lindsay Marks, and I am doing Enneagram work in the state of Michigan, the southwest part of Michigan. And I hold certification through Claire Lowridge with her program that blends Enneagram spirituality with Harmony Triads Wisdom. And then I'm working on my certification with Mario Socorro's Awareness to Action program right now. So I'm excited to be able to just put these different tools in my bag and Mm -hmm. kind of be able to be present to whoever is seeking transformation and and meet them where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. That's cool. Um, yeah, well, all of us are huge fans of Lindsay. So if you have any chance to ever encounter her uh, in any form, you should. So. Oh, thank just, you. Yes. <laughs> all right, so we're going to move into Q&A section. Um, several of you have sent in questions via SpeakPipe or Instagram. Here's Vicky. 
No, I'd be interested to hear Lindsay's take on this, given what you know the type of work and training she's done, mm-hmm. you know, with Claire on spirituality in the Enneagram. So I'd love to know what you think about that. Yeah, actually, when I encountered the Enneagram, this was my question too. I was like, "This stuff is great, but how how do I do this in mm-hmm. my daily life?" And so, and I also identify as Christian, and so I really resonate with this question a lot. I think that finding a space where we can have practices, you know, that that point us toward our truest self is a huge part of this work. So for me, I really love um, the spiritual rhythms of the Enneagram. It's a workbook and it's it is full of practices. And one of them is the the stop practice. And part of that practice is the O is for open. So there's a practice of opening to my head center and seeing what the data is telling me. What are mm-hmm. my thoughts speaking to me? What is logic and reason inviting me to notice? And then opening to my heart space. What am I feeling about this? What kind of emotions are rolling through me? And then opening to the gut space. What action maybe am I being invited to? Or what is the intuitive experience that I'm having right now? So as I've worked with that practice of just opening to those different spaces within myself, I've noticed a lot of opening Mm. and growth Mm. in myself. So that's one I really like. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think that's well put. And, uh, you know, we've talked before about uh, the different ways in which one can utilize the Enneagram, right? As a psychological tool, a spiritual tool, or a psycho-spiritual tool. And because of its open source nature, you know, I think it can be practiced in any number of ways, right? And so if you are a person of faith, then I think it makes sense to figure out how can the Enneagram be used in order to help kind of bolster and complement your faith and the beliefs that kind of come with that faith system, which means then you don't have to engage in practices that don't fall, you know, within those categories. Right. And, but I do, I I do think it's confusing initially because you could just do a Google search on the Enneagram and it's just, you're deluged with all sorts of stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. Um, ranging from really good and brilliant to just quite frankly, confusing and weird, you know? So I, I think it has to be in congruence with, uh, the whole of you, which includes, yeah, the spirituality that you hold to and faith system that you adhere to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for me, Enneagram work is, I mean, again, to find the ways in which we make ourselves smaller and we lose connection to what's in front of us, to what's here and what's actually true. Yeah. And to me, there's, though though there may be some some differentiation between what is spiritual work what is enneagram work what is psychological work to me they're just kind of they're all in the same cup it's all trying to get trying to see beyond our biases and our patterns and the ways we try to affect the world control the world so that it looks more like us instead of us mm finding a way to adapt to the world in front of us in a way that's um, healthy and wise and Mm -hmm. whole and beautiful. And to give a a fourth answer option here, um, I just, I tried not to uh, do much prep with this because I wanted to answer in the moment, but I just looked up 
uh, in the dictionary practice. What does that word mean? And I like the definition that I saw. It says a systematic exercise of habitual performance for the purpose of acquiring some kind of proficiency or greater capacity. Yeah. Um, so for me, the idea with our type, I'm just looking at that first part. What is the Enneagram practice? The idea with a type is that it's what hinders us or what's get, what gets in the way of being more present. Um, because if you trust it all in neuroscience, it, it says that we're cognitive of only around 10% of our cognitive activity, which is nuts. Most yeah. of the day, we're pretty in, entranced, uh, entrenched in some level of our distorted level of thinking. You know, So this, this came to be in the process of growing up where we split off from parts of ourselves that didn't line up with getting our needs met. So enneagrammatically... To me, this would be about some form of, of transformation of con- consciousness around our mental and our emotional habit uh, that, that it has to do with your type. So Enneagram practices any way that you can become more adaptive with the way that you're pri- you primarily filter the world through your type bias. So it's, it's becoming present and catching yourself in the moment when you're reacting in the same exact style of your type that you always do. Yeah, um, yeah so practicing noticing, I would say. That's good. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. And next question is from Missa. I'm watching my dog eat all the leftover lunch on the table. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. It's no, great. That dog is smart. Cheers. So as the withdrawn type here, I'm going to assert myself first. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a Carl Jung quote. He says, how can I be substantial if I do not cast a shadow? I must have a dark side also if I am to be whole. Mm. Yo. <laughs> oh. So there is an aspect, uh, there has to be an aspect of real growth and transformation that includes the dark side. I think you can like hang out in that world, right? Creek a little bit too long sometimes. <laughs> One could say. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I would, I like the word, cause this is kind of fun to say out loud, inextricably linked the, the light and the dark. They, they kind of, they work in tandem, they come together. And the more you sort of avoid the dark, the more your light is just casting a shadow that's going to catch up to you at some point, whether you like it or not. Or it's going to be projected yeah. uh, onto people that you're turning into an enemy that really aren't. But there's, they're just burying the parts of you that you don't like, that you can't handle, mm-hmm. you know. So all that said, there is a lot of, like, I would say the original content and the original presentation of the Enneagram did seem to be probably more dark side or or shadow oriented 
but real deep transformation has to include that. But I, but then I will say, you know, there there's some work. I specifically thought of the positive enneagram. There's a book called The Positive Enneagram from Susan Rhodes. Uh, yeah. that, that is an interesting uh, take on the enneagram. What else was I thinking? Oh, I do really like Mario Sakura's work, where he talks about leveraging your strategy. Right. He he doesn't really get into adaptive it. versus maladaptive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, Russ Hudson, especially nowadays, he talks about a lot of the shadow work comes as well from the Risa Hudson stuff, you know. But Russ always teaches from when he's talking about the type, starting with the gift of the type, and how when we become less and less present, we try and manufacture that in the world, mm-hmm. and that you know that. Anytime you make an identity out of your gift, you set up a shadow because yeah. you're you're afraid of not being that thing anymore. So you have to defend it. You have to manufacture it and force it in the world. Anyway, my score, Russ Hudson, Susan Rhodes, those are what come to mind. Yeah. Uh, just to uh, add a, a little anecdote to that, I think most of the clients that I encounter are people who have come to an understanding of their type and hate it <laughs> and, mm, and yeah. are, are at this kind of place where they're like, I don't want to be this type. And so a lot of, a lot of, mm-hmm. I think good Enneagram work is helping people to realize, Hey, the, the goal is not to discard your type, right? It's to, mm-hmm. uh, become a healthier version, a more adaptive version, a more integrated and whole version of that type, because the personality plays a key role, right? A really important role. It does provide gifts. Mm-hmm. The core desires of each type are profoundly good, right? We just go about them in some not so good ways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think a lot of the Enneagram resources that are out there for everyone have a lot of good content about the good, (laughs) but I think because we're trying to work on ourselves, we often gloss over those Mm -hmm. because we want to fix the bad, right? Where we Mm want to kind of contend with the bad. Hmm. Yeah. I heard somebody, I heard somebody, maybe it was on your podcast, actually, the one with Renee, she may have said this about Hmm. how so many of our somatic experiences have to do with pain and the pain causes us to notice what's happening in our body, but we have not cultivated the ability to notice what our body's doing when we're experiencing joy. And, um, Mm. I was like, okay, guilty. Mm. That is something I want to work on. And something that's kind of lighting up for me too is I think, Drew, your book is actually a good one for this because Ooh, you, you talk yes. about uh, <laughs> belovedness so much in yeah. the book. And mm-hmm. I think that there can be an avoidance of the shadow or you can dive right into it anchored to this idea that yeah. I'm beloved. It's going to be okay. And I think, you know, as an Enneagram too, I tend to draw a lot of strength for those dark night of the soul kind of journeys or going to those shadowy places in me from relationships with people who are reminding me of my goodness, reminding me of my belovedness. And so I don't personally think you can do the shadow work apart from knowing your belovedness and having relationships with people who are actively reminding you of that. Y'all didn't give me any space to uh, add anything. That was amazing. Okay. Uh, So let's just go to the next question.
Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to what came up around like the, the core fear and desire aspect, I think there is um, one community of the Enneagram that teaches the Enneagram that really fixates on those for the understanding the primary way to figure out your type. And I have heard from from my own personal experience, but I've also heard from like Russ and from Nan and from a few of the people that that core or basic desire or uh, fear is really difficult to actually locate. Mm. Whereas if you get into, I think it's maybe personality types from recent Hudson, you read about the secondary uh, basic desire, the secondary core fear, and those are actually more accessible to mm. the psyche. You're more uh, able to find those. So pulling these up real fast here, the, like the basic fear of the nine the, the core fear of the nine is of loss and separation. Uh, but then the secondary fear of, is of losing their peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the, the core fear or core desire for the nine is to have inner stability, uh, which could be two, which could be seven, which could be three, which could mm-hmm. be anybody. You can, th- that's, you know, that's the thing here is you can behaviorally, that makes sense for anyone, any human being in the world. Uh, but the, the sure. secondary desire for the nine is to create and maintain peace and harmony in their environment. So I think the secondary fear and desires are more accessible mm-hmm. to the natural, the common uh, psyche. But I also think you have to contextualize those for your story or even, I guess you could say, for your maybe the center of intelligence you're in. So make sense of those fears and desires based on the specific need of the center of intelligence. Yeah. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. uh, is it from a place of, of needing uh, attention and validation two, threes, and fours, uh, autonomy. How, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> autonomy and respect, uh, gut types, or uh, safety and security. Does yeah. that make sense? I think those mm-hmm. kind of basic needs from the centers help contextualize the fears or the yeah. desires. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. And the only thing I would add is, Christine, uh, hire Abram to do a typing session. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing that comes to mind for me is something Mario points to often is it's the type is so much more about what you do than who you think you are. The strategy you mean? Yeah. As in oftentimes we can really fool ourselves with playing mental gymnastics to justify the thing that we think we are or, and we can find a million reasons why this isn't the thing or this is the thing. Right. So to, to be able to just, when, to just observe your actual actions and not trying to analyze them, which, which one would actually fit. Yeah. Um, and that's not, it's not like a surefire way, but it just simplifies it a lot more because we can, we can fool ourselves in so many different ways, but what are you actually doing? Mm-hmm. Might help you get closer to that answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
So we have a we have a question from Jordan Stevens from Instagram, and, I'm, and Jordan, I'm going to sum up these questions. We've kind of already addressed these a little bit, but basically, what Jordan is asking is introductory material and uh, practices. Basically, practices for me, I would say, yeah, meditation. I do it almost every morning. I do breath work every morning. I, I do some level of exercise or walking at least twice a day and just finding embodiment whenever whenever I can, especially when I find myself in hyper-triggered situations. That is the go-to, is take a walk, do a meditation, and like I've, I've, and, and get, get myself moving, basically. Is the, is the thing that I've found to be the most helpful. And as much as I'd like to consider myself a very isolated person that doesn't need people, I, I'd have to admit that I do need connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I need support, and I need people to um, slap me when I need slapped and hug me when I need hugged. So very basic is, is, is those, those two things, is connection yeah. and physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I would uh, echo the echo of your echo, and just say <laughs> any for me it's this it's really this a lot of the same things, but anything that helps me cultivate my capacity for present awareness. So a lot of those things are, you know, my own version I do as well. But I, also I think um, you know personality develops as a man- management system of our emo- emotion growing up. So I think engaging and feeling emotion helps to help us metabolize the experiences that we're having rather than getting stuck in. Uh, and stuck in the emotion because that's when our our wonderful thinking brain kind of co-ops uh, an emotion, starts wrapping mm-hmm. narratives up and around it, and it gets it perpetuates that emotion, and we get stuck in it. You know, so f- learning to actually be able to name the emotion that we're feeling helps us very much. So uh, to yeah. continue forward, because we've said this before on the podcast, but energy in motion is emotion. So uh, the, yeah. the last thing is a gear contra which is uh, just a Ignatian spiritual practice, which means acting against. So acting against becomes familiar and comfortable for you so that you can live into more of your potential that is outside of the regular pattern yeah. way you've lived. Yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd say uh, briefly as a three, um, I tend to be so future focused and efficiency minded that I tend to have excess energy that not everyone else needs to experience. So uh, <laughs> like Creek, I think exercising <laughs> can be a really good way to express a lot of that energy. Mm -hmm. But then also, um, because I'm, you know, tend to be so future focused and kind of practically efficiency minded, uh, slowing anything that slows me down intentionally slows me down to let my heart catch up to the rest of me is really important so that then I can do what Abram just said, which is name the emotions, actually incorporate feelings, emotional intelligence into uh, my day and my world.
All right, next question, Amy Davis. Just listened to your most recent podcast episode and I'm inspired to ask you guys if you would consider taking a dive into how our individual behavior patterns get enmeshed with another's in our relationships. To me, the Enneagram is such a great way to better understand what motivates another and opens up a pathway to finding more harmony. In being able to really meet each other's needs in healthy and beneficial ways. Isn't it curious that we think we are showing up the same way in all our relationships, and yet one of those relationships has navigational nuances that make it fluid or challenging? Just wondered what your thoughts are on this. Wow. Not therapist, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say when I read this question, like enmeshment, codependency, mm. that goes yeah. in the therapy <laughs> category. But therapy bucket. I think one of the things I've experienced uh, with my personal Enneagram work is that it's been incredible for helping me establish boundaries. Mm. And if you're finding that enmeshment is part of your relationships, boundaries need to be strongly considered. So for me as an Enneagram too, my boundaries often have to do around measuring the amount of help I can give a person or should to preserve my own energy, but also to respect what I've actually been asked to do. And so Mm. working on my boundaries, working on trusting that connection is still available to me, even if I don't overdo that instinctive need to help or to give of myself in some way, trusting that establishing boundaries is I'm still going to have my needs met has been a huge part of the work for me. So my advice to this person would begin would be to begin to ask yourself like what is what is maybe a relationship where you're experiencing this and then what is a fear that you have around that relationship and what's the story you're telling yourself that is kind of coming from that place of fear and then what boundaries do you need to put around you to protect your energy and to respect the the other person in the relationship. That's good. So what comes to mind for me is uh, there is a therapy modality called family systems theory where there's a sort of triangulation involved and everybody sort of plays a role in the the system that you you maintain growing up. And if you change, well, then that affects me. So everybody has to Mm -hmm. say playing the same role. But there's, a, there's anxiety involved when things start to shift because I know myself in relation to how this thing works. So one of my favorite ways to look at the Enneagram is that it is helping us engage how we are in unity with ourselves or in disunity with ourselves. Because depending on how not unified with myself I am, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to be bringing into re- relationships and how I'm going to try and basically, uh, what's the way to say it? Like, get my my needs met through you basically so so you know we we tend to get in relationships uh with our unfinished business you could say so whatever's left undone in childhood we try and reconcile that through another adult relationship uh i'm thinking about unity which my favorite definition uh from is from richard Rohr, who says unity is diversity maintained and protected by love so to me, there is some level of distinguishing difference between us. There's some level of differentiation. And that includes getting to know myself. 
so that I'm not wrapping up my own stuff within mm-hmm. this relationship. Augustine said, grant me God that I might know myself, that I might know thee, because we project our own version of us onto God and create a limited version. Or uh, somebody else said, we don't see the world the way it is, we see the world the way we are. So, so much of, I think, healthy relationships is entirely dependent on me knowing myself well and knowing how connected to my myself I am. I don't know if mm-hmm. any of this is making sense, but I think... S- Working with enmeshment has to do with differentiation of self. How? What's my quality of individuation? How much am I okay if you're not okay? And that is dependent on mm. me doing my own work. So I would say get as healthy as you can and kind of organically, you don't have to worry about what happens yeah. after that. Yeah. Well, I love that you brought up the family systems theory because I think that that's a great point that as you do your inner work, you're probably going to experience upset in your relationships with people who don't know how to deal with this version of you. Mm-hmm. And it's calling mm-hmm. into question some unhealthy patterns and ways they've always engaged you. I think that's an excellent point. I'm going to go a slightly different angle here. And I think we often, we often feel pressured to be our full self to everyone and, and feel that we are being dishonest if we are not being completely honest about all of who we are with everyone Mm. um i think it is wise and healthy this is boundaries again to know who gets five percent and who gets 95 and knowing yourself is important so you know where those lines are and trusting your instincts to be like "Mm, i'm not sure i trust this person yeah and i will almost almost shift myself depending on who i'm talking about if i'm talking about Actually, this happens a lot with the Enneagram. I, I don't bring up that I know the Enneagram, that I, that I do coaching with the Enneagram because it instantly becomes the topic of conversation. So I will, I will hide that part of myself because I don't want it to happen in a group of 15 when we all are like two drinks in, right? It's just not going to be a beneficial conversation. So that's like, that's a light version of what I'm speaking of, but trying to avoid that I know anything about the Enneagram is <laughs> is one way in which I shift who I am and who, what is things that are really important about myself and how I operate just because I know it's not going to be helpful in this situation. Yeah. So that, that's what I would say is, is know yourself, know where your 5% is, where your 95% is and know who gets what. And don't be ashamed of, of either of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I always think it's helpful to just name that boundaries are not simply a wall because I think that's a misunderstanding wall. But boundaries are less at which something stops and more at which something healthy can begin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I, Creek, I wish you would have gone before me because you basically said in one sentence, everything I was trying to say in five minutes, <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, know yourself. So you know where, where the line is, you know, um, so that you, you're not, you know, getting enmeshed with people, but, that is such a hard th- thing to do dependent on the environment you're in and the systems that you're still um, maybe trying to navigate. Because if you don't do some work with emotional regulation, you're just going to keep losing yourself over and over and over and over. So some of this, I think, is about working on when you are emotionally dysregulated and working with your nervous system mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, fight or flight or fawn or you know these these different states within your nervous system so just to make it really simple like helpful breathing practices are 
pretty life-changing when you mm -hmm. begin to practice them, mm -hmm. like longer exhales. Like there's a way that you engage the, the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest and fight, and flight, fight or flight, right? See, so just the longer exhale is what is engaging the rest and digest side of your nervous system, which helps you regulate your emotions, which can help you kind of say, no, I'm not going to get enmeshed, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm breathing more deeply yeah. now. <laughs> so our final question is from Meredith from Instagram. And um, to sum up Meredith's, Meredith's question, it's, it's around the idea of basically health and unhealth. How do you know your number? Is it a different number? Or are you just unhealthy? And how do we approach these conversations when we, when we see some unhealthy behavior in ourselves and with others to know where does that fit into the Enneagram? Well, I think that I, I was really relieved to kind of let go of the language of healthy versus unhealthy and trade that for adaptive and maladaptive. Yes. Um, I just think that there, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that I think unhealthy can really get you stuck. And thinking of yourself as healthy can keep you stuck too when there's more work to do. So um, I just don't find those words to be super helpful. I think that this might be a good place to maybe talk about like instinctual biases. And I know as a, as a two, women can often get lumped into that two category because of our societal mm -hmm way of, of being primary care takers often. So I think what I hear this listener saying is that she is seeing someone who identifies as a two being maybe a little bit more comfortable in the spotlight or a little bit more vocal or even aggressive in some ways than she feels. And so if I'm understanding that correctly, I think that knowing what her dominant instinctual bias would, would help her kind of understand her strategy as a two better. Yeah. Just my, my initial thought when it comes to what is unhealthy versus what is just different. Abram, you, I mean, we talk about this all the time of like you have a type, you are not a type and, and the, in the several what? thousand ways <laughs> and the several thousand ways that we say that exact same thing. This is your strategy. Um, and again, obviously we are big fans of Mario Sakura over here. So in, in this example, is this person a two or is this person an eight? Are you striving to feel connected? Are you striving to feel powerful? Those may come across similarly, maybe, but I feel like, I feel like you can, you can, you can feel the difference just in those wordings, just in that wording. There is... That two energy to me feels a lot, a bit more sticky than the bulldozer energy of an eight. So yeah, some, some twos are going to be extroverted. Some of them are going to be introverted and there's a spectrum within every number just like that. Um, so I, I think, I mean, I hate just answering it like this, but maintain curiosity at all times, curiosity and humility and see the human first. Mm -hmm. period. I don't care what your Enneagram number is. I really don't. Like, who are you? And if we find some maladaptive behavior that you'd like to change, then sure, let's find that Enneagram type to help us clarify and give words, give handles, 
to your process that is in front mm-hmm. of you. Yeah. Uh, continuing that on, uh, which one of these, you know, behaviors is becoming maladaptive is I think a better question to ask rather than which one of these am I? Because that's, mm-hmm. that is the misunderstanding that you are a type, I think is kind of what's being inherently or underneath the question being asked here. But like you said, Creek, and I'll just put it in the language that I usually like to say is that a person is what contextualizes type. So everybody has their own story. Hello, season three, finishing up here. Everybody has their own story and their own version of what, how they do two-ness or nine-ness in the world because they have their own humanity. So I always say conflict is going to be different for for another nine than me. Peace is going to feel differently than another human ver- human's experience of peace. The, a person, the human, contextualizes type. You can't just read a description in a book and say, that one's me, because th- that can be done very differently for you. Um, and the other thing was, uh, you know, there, there is a, there's a good reason that to, you're wondering about 2A, right? I'm sure this person knows this, but those are connected. So, um the thing about the lines is uh, the reason the lines work is because there is a sort of opposite contained within them that you need because you've overdone the gift of your type. It's like the rubber band stretching and I've overdone two-ness, given of myself too much. And now, well, what is the most likely thing to happen within your psyche because it has an intelligence? Well, I'm going to stand up for myself because if I keep doing that, you know, I'm going to find myself at a really bad place. So there's like there's a na- natural intelligence to move towards bringing in eightness there. Uh, so how do these things work together is even maybe another question to ask. Not just which one of these am I, but how how do these work together based on how I use them for, for myself and my story? That's great. Yeah. I would just refer the listener back to um, the episode Drew and I did, Humility and Curiosity with Type. There's some There's some good stuff in there as well. So... Well, that's all the questions we have time for today. Lindsay, thanks so much for jumping on. Yes, Your wisdom, thank you, as always, Lindsay. is appreciated. So, My pleasure. Yes, thanks for having for me. For sure.